And so we've, um, we're in the book of Proverbs, um, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. Um, the title for today is um, The Wisdom of Trusting God, Confessions of the Cheap and Fearful. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you continue, Lord God, to, uh, to bring freedom in our midst. Lord God, thank you for what you've begun um, in the past two services, do, do it again here, Lord. Father, draw us near, draw us close by your spirit because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, in past sermons, we've talked about uh, the wisdom of prudence. We've talked about how to seek wisdom. We've talked about words and the power of words. We've talked about receiving con- uh, correction. Uh, today, we, we talk about money. And what's interesting is that when, when I know when I've had conversations like this, it almost like there are two camps that form. There's one camp of new lifers that say, you know what, Red, we, we talk about money too much already. Um, in fact, I know a couple of families that have left because they felt that we talk about money too much. And then there's another group of folks that say, you know, we don't, we don't talk about it enough. Um, and so which one is it? Well, actually, if we look at the words of Christ and we look at Proverbs you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder what it says. And if you, if you there's one scholar that put, puts it this way, that the words of Jesus Christ was about money and possessions 10% of the time. In fact, his number one topic was the kingdom of God. Number two was money and possessions. And so his parables, his teachings, 10% of it was money, possessions, giving, the poor. And then if you look at the book of Proverbs, there are 900 Proverbs over 100 are about money and possession. And so again, more than 10%. And so it just caused me to think, you know, I'm like, okay, how, how, much, how much do we talk about it at New Life? And so if a, if a service is 90 minutes long, 10% is nine minutes, we talk about it every week for three. And so we don't even talk about it as much as Jesus or, or the Proverbs do. And yet, it is very important that we talk about money. Why? Why is, it, why is it important that we talk about this in church? Why can't it stay outside the church? Well, we choose jobs based on it. We choose colleges, school based on it. We find cars and housing based on it. Vacations are shaped by it. Marriages break up because of it. Countries go to war because of it. And yet, if we don't talk about it at church, that means that we've chosen to live in this nice bubble. Or we've so compartmentalized our lives that we say, Jesus will talk about at church, but Jesus has no involvement in my finances outside the church. It's not the way to go. And yet when we put this before God, we can be filled with so much wisdom on how to handle our finances, how to view it, And so today, that's what we look at in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. What has this chapter, what does it have to say about finances? And and for for me, and I don't know for you, when when I talk about this, when I bring this up, you know, there there might be be fear that comes up about just how you hold on. There might be greed that you feel um, about how you want more and more 
of money, even though just for the sake of having more. And some of you might feel, some of you might feel shame. You wouldn't even think of talking to somebody about how much debt that you really have or the current financial condition you're in. Well, I want to let you know that the fearful, greedy, shameful life is not, it is not the kind of life that God has for you. It is not. In fact, you are meant to live the kind of life that is filled with joy, that is filled with security, that is filled with peace. And it's peace that's not tied to money, but rather tied to the love that God has for you. Tied to the lavish, lavish provision that God has for you. And if you, and if you are willing, God wants to set you free today. And if you are willing, God can begin or continue that freedom process today. So that you might be set free from fear, from greed, from shame. And so today I focus primarily on fear simply because it's God has done such a tremendous work in terms of fear in my life, and maybe you can, you can identify as well. And so let's look at Proverbs 11, um, starting in verse 24 to verse 28. It reads, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly or excessively, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. Verse 28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Amen. And in, the verse, in the verse 24, there's a second part to that verse where it talks about um, a person withholding um, unduly. And there's actually a story about my honeymoon um, that makes me realize that it's, it's pretty easy for me um, to withhold. It's pretty easy for me to be that person who withholds. And I asked permission for my wife to tell about this story. I know it gives, still gives me a little bit of shame, but I think it's good for me to share it. So we were in Maui, Hawaii, beautiful island, beautiful woman sitting next to me. We were crazy about each other. And everything seemed to be picture perfect on the outside, but then on the inside of me, um, it wasn't so perfect. And what was happening was that fear was actually coloring my thoughts and my actions. And the reason why I was feeling that fear is because I had just spent so much cash on this wedding. I paid for these tickets to Hawaii that were through the roof. And now I feel like I'm trapped on this island with all these pricey hotels, pricey activities, pricey snorkeling. It was going to suck me dry of all my cash. I knew it. And so there was this one lunchtime. Um, I imagine my wife was expecting a romantic lunch, these newlyweds, and I did the unthinkable. I bust out a can of sardines in our honeymoon. <laughs> And we proceeded to eat out of a can. Thank God my wife's not here right now. But she tells me afterwards, honey, I felt like I was a cat. 
And I still, I still feel residues of that, of that shame. Like there's a voice that's saying, what a bad and cheap and shameful husband. And so I, you know, I do the inner work and I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? I don't even, I mean, I like sardines, but I mean, not that much. And so I was afraid. That's why. I was afraid. I was afraid of losing money. And so I could be that person in verse 24 that withholds. And I felt the poverty. I felt this unrest inside of me. And if we look at Proverbs 11, you know, it, it talks about a life that is available to us. It talks about a life where we can experience gain, where we can experience prospering, where we can experience refreshment, where we can experience blessing, when we can experience thriving. And yet this was not the kind of life that I was experiencing. And then when I look, just, when I, when I look back to other scenarios and other situations of my life, I could, I could see these other scenarios where I would withhold. And so, you know, we've seen the scale of um, this wise and foolish spectrum. Um, let me convert it to a second to a cheap and generous scale and then rate myself. And so if given a chance to withhold money or spend toward a regular expense, my shadow side would rather keep all the money to myself. And I remember when I first moved out of my, my mom's house, uh, I had to buy some shelving and I had to buy some closet accessories. Uh, even though I could afford it, um, I just wanted to keep all the money to myself. And so I made those things. I'm not even a carpenter, so it looked hideous. That's a two on that cheap scale. And just when I would do the inner work, I was, I was cheap because money gave me security. I got this message that if problems come my way, if I have money, I'm good. If given a chance to withhold money or be generous on myself, like pay for a haircut, I would withhold money. And I'd go to my brother and ask him to cut my hair. Because if I let go of money for a haircut, I feared that I would miss out on something better in the future that I needed money for. But if you asked me what I was saving up for, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I just wanted to be able to keep money for myself. Another two on the cheap scale. And then if given a chance to withhold or be generous with somebody, say somebody comes up to me asking for money because they're in need, I would want to withhold. And I would say it's because I didn't want this person taking advantage of my kindness. But really it's because I didn't want this person taking my cash. Three on the cheap scale. And so, hear my heart, there's, there's a time where we absolutely need to pull back with expenses. There, there's, a time, there's, a, there's a time where it's good not to give. But yet these things need to be done in wisdom, in prudence. But I was doing these things in fear. I was afraid. And fear, fear is so interesting because I realized that the level of fear, the level of fear that I had in losing money corresponded to the level of trust that I placed in on it. So the more trust that I placed on money, the more fear I had in losing it. 
And so what I realized is that money had become an idol in my life, this false God, this thing that I was relying on, this fear that I had to, this thing that I had on, uh, that I had to hold on to. And so this is what an idol says to me. You don't need God. What you need is money. You need money to feel secure so that you could be okay, so that you could feel peace. A money tells me, you got to keep me, you got to protect me, and read as long as you have me, you will have peace. But it's a counterfeit peace. It's a counter. We, we know that idols cannot bring someone the kind of peace, the kind of joy, the kind of security that your soul is longing for. Idols cannot do that. But there is someone who can. There is someone that not only brings peace, he's not only a messenger of peace, he is the prince of peace. It is Jesus who can bring that peace. It is Jesus who created that peace. But an idol tries to impersonate it. It tries to mimic that voice of provider. And yet it is Jesus that truly can fill you with the peace that fills your soul. And it is when we place our trust in Jesus that the fear melts away, the greed melts away, the shame melts away. And it's so, it is trust in Jesus. It is when we trust in him that we can experience that peace. And is it not interesting that even our founding fathers, it's almost like they had to warn us we place not our trust in currency, we place our trust in God. And so what about you? The question is, do you, do you have an idol? And it really doesn't need to be money. There's a, a, a teacher in the city, Tim Keller, and he writes, when an idol, whether it be money or sex, or power, I would add, or reputation, or self, when it gets a grip on your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure and happiness and sadness. It redefines reality in terms of itself. And so have you, have you crafted, have you fabricated these false definitions of what brings success, of what brings happiness? so that it revolves around an idol. In other words, have you, like me, in verse 28 it says, have you placed your trust in riches? Because the word of God says that if you do that, if I do that, then we're headed for a fall. And then he continues to write, an idolatrous attachment, like the one I had, can, can lead you to break any promise rationalize any discretion or betray any other allegiance, even to God, in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. And so have you held on to this idol like you're enslaved? Have you held on to money as if it's yours and it's your hands that produced it? I'm here to tell you that slave masters enslave you, they will fail you, they will always fail you. 
That's what idols do. And I want to let you know that if you let go of idols and if you place your trust in Jesus, he will catch you. Why? Because he is savior. And that's what a savior does. If you let go of idols and if you place your trust in Jesus, he will catch you because he is provider and that's what a provider does. Stronger than any grip that you can have on your idol and stronger than any grip that your idol can have on you, stronger is the grip of Jesus Christ on you when you place your trust in him. He will not fail you. And so when you ask me, how, Red, how, how, how is it that I can place my trust in him? Well, go back to Proverbs 11. Who is it that brings gain? Who is it that brings prosperity and prospering? Who is it that brings refreshing? Who is it that brings blessing? Who is it that brings the thriving kind of life? It is God, it is God, it is God. And so do not be tricked into thinking that money is your God. And do not be duped, do not be tricked into thinking that it's your own hands that brought this cash, it is your own hands that brought this provision. Because remember what the Bible says, remember the Lord your God, because it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's what the word of God says. You could be a teacher, engineer, accountant, student, homemaker, whatever it is. It is a gift to you. It is a gift to you. Remember the Lord your God because it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is a gift to you. So what does that tell me? It tells me that God is the ultimate source of provision. Not just providing for me, but also providing my ability to bring wealth. And so of course I look at this, of course I can give freely. It is God who brings gain. Of course I can be generous. It is God who provides. Of course I can refresh others. It is God who brings refreshment. And the ultimate for me, the, the ultimate act of provision, the ultimate act that demonstrates to me that a provider is trustworthy is when that provider spares nothing good and gives all for your gain. A provider spares nothing good and gives all for your gain. And the Bible says, he who did not spare, he did not withhold, he wasn't cheap, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not along with him give us all things? And so how do I know that God can be trusted? He's already made this demonstration when he showed the fullness of his love for you, when he showed the fullness of his provision, when he gave you his son. And so once we grab, once we grab a hold of this truth that it is truly God who provides everything changes. Your whole worldview changes. Your whole approach on finance changes. Everything changes. You grab a hold of this truth. You begin to experience the verse 28 where it says that you will experience a, a life that is thriving. Woo! Feeling that. And so, how, how, exa how, how, exa like practically, how exactly does that happen? Just two words. 
repentance and replacement. When, when you and I begin to truly recognize, realize that it is God who provides, then I will want to repent. You will want to repent, meaning you will want to say sorry for placing your trust in idols. You will want to. It will be a joy to repent. And this is what repentance does. Repentance dethrones idols. Repentance is the spark. It is the beginning of the freedom process from your idols. That's what repentance does. And in verse 28, if you look at that verse, there's a first part that says, those who trust in riches will fall. Repentance brings you from the first part of that verse to the second part of that verse that says, the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Repentance brings you from falling to thriving. And who, who are the, the righteous? The righteous aren't those that are perfect. No one is perfect. The righteous are those who repent. The righteous are those who turn away from their idols. And for me, when, how, how, how did I experience this repentance? It was, it was through new lifers. It was through people like you. Um, my wife and two other folks were praying for me about something completely different than money. And they were praying for me, and then this, uh, this, this one gentleman paused, and then he spoke, he spoke a word, and when he spoke that word, poof! It's like these floodlights of the Holy Spirit came on. And I was brought back to this, I was, I was brought back to this memory when I was in the first or second grade, and a best friend of mine used to give me one or two bucks every day, and it felt so good. I felt, I felt that provision. I felt that provision that would buy me French fries, snacks that my parents couldn't get for me. And I remember at such a young age, I felt this attachment to money. And then uh, we, we weren't, uh, we weren't uh, well off growing up. Uh, we, we come here as an immigrant. And I got the message that as long as I have cash, I'm okay. As long as I have money, Problems may come, but I'm okay. But it's a lie. It's a lie. It does not bring lasting peace. It is short-lived at best. And then in that, in that same prayer, it was like, at this point I was getting scared. I didn't know where the Holy Spirit was going to shine his flashlight. And then like, this light brought me through to my, to my life as a young professional where I began to trust in my own, I trusted in my own ability to gain wealth. It was me that worked hard, Lord. It was me that gained those raises. It was me that climbed up that ladder for success. And I was a Christian back then. And even though my lips would say, God, you're my Lord and my Savior, my heart said, I did this without you. It was frightening. And then the word of God just came, remember the Lord your God, because it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so I knew God was tugging at my heart to repent. But I, uh, to be honest, I didn't want to. I didn't want to because, oh my gosh, these you know, I'm, I'm a part of the executive to the team at New Life. I'm part of the leadership over finances. And I, I, have, this, I have this idol of money. What do these people think? And then there's a certain point where you just say, later for that, let me just let go. 
And then I began, I began, to, I began to repent. I began to confess. I began to say sorry to God in that prayer that I had worshipped idols. And there was this, I had to get down on my knees at that point. We were at the dinner table. I had to push down the chairs. My gosh, it was holy in that moment. And I, it felt, it felt so good. Repentance felt so good. And I felt like there was this freedom process that was taking place. And it didn't, it didn't, just, it didn't just end there. This process of freedom, it doesn't just end with repentance. It actually continues when that idol gets replaced. This replacement. And so in this book, um, Counterfeit Gods, the author writes, idols cannot simply be removed, they must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they will grow back, but they can be supplanted, meaning replaced. By what? By God himself, of course. But by God, we don't mean a general belief in his existence. Most people have that. Yet their souls are riddled with idols. What we need is a living encounter with God. And I want you to know, God wants to have that encounter with you. And it's possible to receive and experience that encounter with God because he loves you. He longs for you. And so for me, I, I, I was going through this, rep, um, this repentance, and I began, I began to feel this replacement of an idol. See, when you, you, when, you, when you repent, an idol comes down, and the space previously occupied by that idol needs to be replaced by the fullness of God. And so how does that exactly take place? For me, when you renew your allegiance to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, there's a replacement that takes place. And so for me during that prayer time, I simply, in my words, I renewed my allegiance to God. And so I said, God, you are, you are my provider. You are the ultimate source of my provision. I acknowledge that the gifts and talents are from you. I acknowledge that without you, I wouldn't have these things. It is you that gives me the ability to produce wealth. And then something beautiful really began to take place. As I began to do this, I knew that replacement was taking place because peace began to flood my soul. And it was like, it wasn't fireworks. It was like chains. It was like they were slipping off my body. And I felt like there was this prison door that opened. And I began to walk out. And it wasn't the kind of freedom that resulted in cartwheels, fireworks. It, was, it wasn't that kind of freedom. It was the kind of freedom where I looked back and I saw that jail cell. And I was just looking around. And I was, in, I was in a new context, environment of freedom. It felt really good. That is the kind of life that God has for each and every one of us. Filled with peace, filled with joy, filled with his security that is tied to the lavish love of God. And so what I want to pray the prayer that was prayed over me, I simply want to pray over you. And I know 
that the Holy Spirit is already searching now, and I know that he's identifying idols in your life. The good news is that freedom is knocking at your door. Freedom is yours. It was meant for you. You were meant to experience peace, freedom, joy, security that comes from God. I want to pray that over you. You ready? Now, so just um, before I pray, and um, Pete is going to close us and lead us into communion, um, I just want to give these three practical applications. You know, what, what can we do tomorrow? The first is that you get to know the heart of God in Proverbs and Scripture. Listen to me. The degree to which you know the heart of God is the degree to which you will experience his freedom. You, once you know his heart, you will be ready to give freely, like that verse 24 says. You will be ready to give generously because it is God who provides. You will be ready to refresh others because it is God who brings refreshment. Get to know the heart of God. The second, you know, I love and I hate generosity. I hate it because of that shadow side of fear that might lose the money. I, I love generosity. I love generosity because it's such a practical application of letting go of what it might enslave me. It's a practical, and just even in small increments of generosity, I love the opportunity to be able to declare to my God that this does not hold me. I let go of it because I know that you provide. I hate it and I love it both at the same time. And then lastly, um, in your bulletin, there's a financial wisdom workshop that's being offered at the end of August. Receive the wisdom from your community, from scripture, attend that class. And so um, you don't need to bow your heads yet, but, and so let's, let's pray. Let me, let me pray over you. Um, and I'm going to pray that uh, you close your eyes and you bow your heads, and then I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that, uh, lead you just in a prayer, and may God identify those idols in your heart. And then I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. That if you're ready to repent um, while eyes are closed, that you will simply raise up your hand. And then if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not ready or you've repented already, then leave your hands down. And I want you to raise your hand because I want to be able to administer the forgiveness of God over you. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I imagine that you love this part. You begin to get to shine your flashlight on the hearts of brothers and sisters here. And I pray now that you begin to tug on the hearts that you want to draw close to you. Do it now, I ask. And simply by faith, I pray that idols of money and any other idol that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, I pull them down now in the name of Jesus Christ. And so if that's you that needs to repent,
Simply whisper to God, I repent. I'm sorry, God, for making an idol out of blank. And it can be money, sex, power, reputation, self. And those things aren't inherently bad, but they just need to be placed in the right order. And so go ahead and whisper that prayer of repentance now. And so if that was you, um, while we still keep our eyes closed and heads bowed, if that was you that repented, I invite you to raise your hands that I might administer forgiveness over you. Upon your repentance and confession, receive the forgiveness that God, your Father, has for you. Take a deep breath in. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus paid for for you. You are forgiven. Receive the forgiveness that comes from your Father who loves you. Oh, that feels good, Lord. And so now I invite you. Replace your idols. Renew your allegiance to him. You can simply whisper, God, you are my God. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are my Lord. I turn to you for provision. I renew my allegiance to you, Lord. Go ahead in your own words, whisper that to him. Father, in our hearts we enthrone you as our God. You are Lord, you are provider, you are king. We confess you are Lord. We bow to no other except you, Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, receive his filling. Receive the filling of the Holy Spirit who loves you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God that he may teach you and show you that God is your provider. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good job, guys. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you, Red. All, all to the worship team, come forward. And I want to invite you all to stand with me. It's just so appropriate after hearing that message that uh, really the Lord's table communion is an altar call uh, every time we come and take communion. It's, it's so appropriate that it's our opportunity to say, yes, Lord, and come forward and respond in our hearts to say yes and open them as widely as possible to Christ. So listen, the Lord's table... What's, what's wonderful is, is this is past, present, and future all wrapped up in one. You've got, you know, this is the past. We remember Jesus who died on the cross for us, or his body and blood shed, broken for us. 
present, Jesus is here in our midst, and he's present in those elements. As we take them in, we take Jesus in. That's how close Jesus wants to be with us. He wants to be inside of you and inside of me. And it's future. It's a taste of a banquet that is to come. It, it, it's, a, it's a taste. We're headed, friends, to a banquet of banquets. I mean, you understand it's impossible to be poor if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are wealthy. You are rich. I am rich. We can never be poor. And so we're invited to the, the wealthiest, most glorious banquet in history. And we come by grace. We come in the name of Jesus. And I love that. I, I, we come in the name of Jesus, not our own name. We come in the performance of Jesus, not our own performance. You know, we come in the righteousness of Christ, not our own. We come in the blood of Jesus, uh, not our own. So we, we, we come to this table, friends. It's a table for anybody to come. You come as you are, and you, you respond to Jesus. However you need to respond today, and you're opening wide your heart. You, you may be here, maybe not even a Christian. This is, it's a moment. You come to Christ, and you open your heart and receive Jesus. Uh, but every time I come to the altar, I'm, I'm, I'm coming and receiving grace and mercy. And I'm opening my heart. And, it's, and God comes in so many ways to us, right? Worship, the word, fellowship. But God comes through communion. He comes through the Lord's table as well. All right, so uh, we're, we have uh, four tables up here in the front. We've got one in the back, and we've got two up there in the balcony. And I want you to go towards those folks, and you'll partake of the bread. This is the, you know, the bread of heaven, uh, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, and you got the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And you'll take it in your hand as we worship. You'll take it back to your seat, and then we're all going to partake together, okay, of this tasting of this heavenly feast that we will again really feast on when we see him face to face. All right? So let's pray before we launch out into the next phase of this. So. So, Lord, we ask you to set apart these elements and bless them, O oh God, that we may actually receive your presence as we partake of these earthly elements, that all of earth is crammed with your glory. And especially right now, this, your table, the Lord's table. So guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin, everybody. You know, when we talk about the topic that Red's, we're talking about today, which is generosity, a, a life of that kind of a letting go and that kind of a freedom, you realize that we are, we're dealing with powers and principalities of evil. I mean, there are, when Jesus spoke about money, he, he was referring to it like that behind money is a demonic power. It just, it just enslaves us. It's a funny thing about it, you can be poor and be totally driven by money. You can be rich and be totally driven by money. It's, it's a power. It's, I don't know if right, if you felt it as you're preaching, the enormity of what we're talking about here. And so that's why the Lord's table is such an appropriate way to end. Because you know what? Um, we, we can't change ourselves. It's, it's the power of God. That's why Jesus talking about in John 6, when he's talking about the Lord's table, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Your ancestors ate man and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Do you understand that, that we need Jesus so much, we have to, in a sense, we have to take him inside of us. I mean, what, what an incredible image. You know, we, we take his life, we eat his bread, his blood, we drink of him, we eat of him. We're in him, he's in us. It's, it's that level of closeness that he's referring to for transformation. That we've got to live in this kind of oneness with him. So, what a moment for us. I don't know, what, what a What a moment. God loves you so much, he wants to live inside of you. 
And that's why he died. And he sent the Holy Spirit. So here we are at this table of the Lord. We're just regular folk, aren't we? Mess ups and all that. But he loves you and loves me right where we are through Jesus. So, Father, grant us grace right now to eat and drink of you. Let's all partake, everyone, of the bread and cup together. Refreshment and power. So as we close, I want to invite the Walter teams to come over to your right. And I don't know what you need at this moment in your journey. Healing, forgiveness, love for enemies, power to change, strength to endure, spirit to lift you from depression. But I want you to know some God's here for you. And he's sending you out of here. So, you know, I... I've received many a curse in my day over the years, you know, but God speaks a blessing over you and blessing over me. So I want to invite you to open up your hands up towards heaven to receive a blessing as we close here, as you leave here. It's just, a, you know, just imagine the hand of God is on you. He places his hand, his hands right on your hands. Lord, I pray, God, may your, may your life and power flow right through everyone in this room. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And may the Lord flood you with glory, flood you with power, flood you with the Holy Spirit. May the Lord do a work in you so great that you might feel like you're going to explode with his presence inside of you. May your heart be set on fire. May your eyes be cleared up to 2020 vision to see life as it really is and may you be freed from all that shackles you to become the man and the woman he's called you to be and may as you leave this place may you be a gift of generosity with your talents with your time with your resources with all that god has put in you that he's given you by grace and may you be poured out for the world to be a blessing this week and may you know that the hand of god is on you and that you're in his grip. So be blessed, I pray, as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, God bless you, everybody.